our society has become familiar with what is known as the Global Positioning System, or GPS for short, originally a military facility and largely and at one time exclusively used by the military. But then it became evident that uh, civilians could use this. Civilians wanted to use this. A few of them were given a taste of it. But it wasn't until the middle 90s or even late 90s that the uh, U.S. military, which had basically uh, invented this and, and deployed this process, uh, started making it readily available to the public and even started lowering the restrictions. At first, uh, the civilian side, the military side, was very accurate. You could find out where something was by satellite right to almost a square inch. But we were only given, like, within quarter mile, and then they started narrowing it down. Now we can get within 10 feet with our own devices. But the Global Positioning System, GPS, very precise method of geographic locating, accomplished by satellite system that sends signals to ground-based units, such as what you may have in your vehicle, mounted to your windshield, so that you can conveniently locate and go to places that you may never have been before, to before, and uh, gives you the directions and so forth. Very useful units, and I happen to be an avid user, especially driving a rather large service truck in some metropolitan areas, Detroit, Plymouth, um, and, and, and outlying areas, of course, too. And one of the neat things about that is in the city, when you're driving a truck especially, you know where the block you need to turn is in advance, and you can start getting into position with your lane changes and anticipating what the light, you can see way ahead, oh yeah, that's probably the light where I'm going to need to turn, with the, and you, you just have all kinds of cues that help you because years, years ago it all had to be done with old school. But I like this. But I say precise because of the triangulation process with the satellites. Now we use the term triangulation because it implies three. Uh, because usually you need at least three in order to locate and help this operate correctly. It's actually multi-angulation now because there are quite a few satellites that can log on to several at the same time more than three. Remember several weeks ago when I, uh, there were some of you uh, that participated with me in a, in a class where we had the clock set up here, and I was talking about uh, the spiritual life and clocks and how precision is something that's part of our lives. God invented time. It's for the purpose of where we're at now. It won't be needed later on. It wasn't needed before we were created. God lived forever in the past. He didn't need a clock. What time would there be to tell? And he doesn't need a clock to, to the future beyond his plan and program because forever we'll be giving praise to him. I'm interested to know he might give us some marking of time just to know where we're at, how many years, such as the hymn we sing, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. What a concept, what a thought. But right now he's given us time as a utility and as a convenience. Well, there was a man named Einstein who uh, calculated very meticulously that the speed of light is a very important part of the fabric of the universe, and that the speed of light travels all times exactly at 186,000 miles per second. That's miles per second. Now, it can't exceed that, but always goes that. Well, with that in mind, satellites positioned at different locations, and your ground unit communicating, since it's known how fast the signal travels at the speed of light, how fast that signal travels then this process can all be done accurately and you can be down the road getting to your destination in the time that it says it will. It's amazing how accurate that is, updating it as you go. In the spiritual realm, we as Christians are also interested in positioning. We are concerned about guidance and truth. 
because without truth, we would have no real guidance. Instead of satellites in the sky, we have the God of the universe who guides us from heaven. We believe he's the author of truth, the grand communicator of truth. He shows us what our position is, what it should be, and how to get from where we are to where we ought to be. No mistakes if we follow his plan and follow his truth. And that positioning device is God's position statement, GPS. God's GPS. God's position statement. In fact, I have one right here. Because he has a position as God, and he knows what's true, and he was so loving and merciful to give us a whole book that contains basically that, his position, that we call the Bible. But let me play the part of the cynic for a moment. I say play the part because, of course, I'm just acting out here. With so many communication and media input opportunities today, why would we even pay attention to the Bible? I mean, most agree it's a very nice book, and children think it's pretty cute, and especially show them a picture like that, Jesus putting his arm around a child and so forth. But, you know, and, and some might go so far as to even to call it old school, the good book. But what is this about position statement? Well, here at Seneca, we recently reviewed about 50 potential pastoral candidate resumes And a very important part of our consideration was the potential candidate's position statement. Now, this is often referred to as a doctrinal statement. Essentially, this is a portion of what they believe that is summed up either in their own words or they may be borrowing from a written statement. That's fine. But it sums up what a person's belief is in the area of biblical truth. Now, why is this so important? Well... Sadly, among those who profess to be preachers and teachers of the Bible, not all are really faithful to the Word. They, have, they might, may not have been well-trained. Others perhaps have gone rogue with divergent avenues of belief or hobby horses about what to believe and are already gone astray on doctrinal issues. And there are many uh, reasons why the church must be very careful in this area when calling a pastor. For instance, we've been rejoicing, rightfully so, in the last few weeks after having called our new pastor, John Roos, to Seneca. And in the pastoral placement form that was sent to us among potential candidates, one of our questions listed was your view of Scripture. Now, this is how John answered this, this section of that questionnaire. I'm quoting now John Roos. And I believe these are his words, he, as far as we know, this was his own uh, writing. I believe that the Bible is the fully inspired and inerrant word of God. I believe that it is the final authority on all matters of life and faith for the church and individual life. I believe it is completely trustworthy, reliable, and without contradiction as inspired by the Holy Spirit. I believe that God's word has been preserved for us in that there are many reliable translations available today. Now, what this told us on the transition team is that John Ruse believes that this is God's positioning statement. Without qualification, he says that it's true, it's trustworthy, it was written by God, it was given to us, and it's been preserved down through the years, but that no one particular translation has a corner. This was important, too, for kind of a sideline reason, yet not so sideline. 
in that while preserved and while given to us, inspired perfectly word for word in the original manuscripts, he has allowed down through the years because of the changes of languages, time, and culture for there to be different wordings in different languages, but yet still being accurate in getting across what God said in the original manuscripts, which we don't even have today. So we're relying on the best passed along manuscripts, which are very good. So whether you carry, as this is the King James Version, or you carry another version that's true of the word, there are some fly-by-night ones that you might want to stay away from, but they, there are many reliable ones available that will not lead you astray. We're so thankful that John agrees with the position of Seneca Community Church on this and other issues. Of course, there were other considerations that came into view in the process, but I was just pointing out one of the most important ones that if a person didn't pass muster on this one, we would simply, although in case we didn't really have to for that reason, because most of them agreed with this, and I, I don't know of any that didn't, because our sources for candidates were not far afield. But my point is here today, you have to be careful, and if you don't, some very disappointing things can result. The background for this, and I want to illustrate the other side of it, because it's so sad, and it exists if it was just something that was only rare and few and far between, you didn't need to worry about it very much, I wouldn't say it. But about 100 years ago, what is known as theological liberalism began to creep into the church. Now, it started before that, and it's always been around in some form. Satan's always had his other versions that he wants to try to push. But the real movement among theological seminaries and even in churches to uh, start getting away from being so strict about what is believed concerning the Bible. That all started about 100 years ago. Started creeping into the churches. How? Because if the professors in the Bible seminaries were starting to get lax on what they taught about the Bible, started inferring that it's not so important to really believe what all that says, is it? And started questioning the miracles and, and teaching preachers that it's not so bad if you just kind of hedge on this or hedge on that. If you've got some people in the church that don't believe that way, just kind of tell them to relax. It's okay. We'll all get there. We'll all, we're all trying to do good, and we're all going to go to the same place, and it doesn't really matter. Well, that's a bunch of lies. That's a pack of lies from the, from the devil straight from the pit, but yet many people would gobble it up and, and act as if that's normal, and it's so sad. But... Um, Another thing they might say, here's another illustration, they, uh, would be one of the most precious things, and including the fact that it's required for us to, to believe in order to go to heaven, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Satan hates that doctrine because he knows it's crucial, and yet you'll find trifling with it. In fact, you'll find people who will try to hedge on that, and Bible teachers, so-called, who will compromise on that. Let me give you an illustration of what, what such a preacher might say. So Easter morning, get up and say something like this. Uh, um, disclaimer. <laughs> Anybody here, young people, please. This is not what I believe. This is not what we believe. This is, I'm imitating a pastor that you wouldn't want to have, okay? So here's a pastor you wouldn't want to have who might say this. We're all gathered here this morning to celebrate the spirit and the essence of what the Bible says about Jesus and Easter morning. If you find yourself having trouble believing that Jesus really rose from the grave, don't feel bad. There are various views on the subject, and a common view is that he did indeed rise, but you don't have to believe that one. Other views are less stringent on this, 
and that the gospel writers were simply following a storyline and they wanted to make it come out well and so they kind of scuffied it up a bit so that it made it look as if Jesus really rose from the grave. Unquote. Now truth. Hogwash. And yet people fall for that sort of thing. And churches suffer through that kind of stuff and have to whisper to their young people after church or during the dinner hour, we really don't believe that way. Jesus did rise from the grave. Well, the pastor said he might not have. Now, would you want such hogwash preached from the pulpit? I think not. And in some form or another, sadly, this does flourish. A common symptom is also trifling with miracles. An example, Jesus walking on the water. That's one they really like to pick on, you know. Because they can say, well, it was like it was a mirage. I created such a circumstance one day just to prove it can be done. When a friend and I were out jogging along Lake Michigan while I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, I took my camera along one day. We were jogging along the lake, and I said, you want to do me a favor? And I went down. It was sun shining from the west over the skyline of the city, but still right toward the water. And I went down along the Lake Michigan, and it happened to be pretty calm that day, so it was a perfect day to do it. And I stood right at the edge on the sand between where the water was and the sand started and I had him up on the boardwalk there and I said now take a picture down and just get me in it right standing by the edge of the water it's just a little old brownie Kodak brownie thing that that you had to roll up and send in and get back when who knows when and the picture came back and voila it looked like I was standing right on the water so those who doubt miracles or want to teach that sort of propaganda will take an example like well it just looked like Jesus was walking on the water you know I mean makes a good story, and, and, you know, there can be a mirage. Everybody's seen those little shimmering waves come up off the desert when you walk through them, or you've seen pictures of that, you know, oasis in the distance, all that stuff. Yeah, the Bible's got some stuff like that in it. Again, lie from the devil. Jesus did walk on the water. We believe it's a real event. John Roos believes it's a real event. And that even Peter walked on the water until he started losing faith, and Jesus had to help him out. You know, he didn't believe what was happening here because... Jesus wanted to show that he's in perfect command of the universe. He created it. He created the laws of physics. He created the fact that we normally can't walk on water for the reasons we understand. But he can also suspend it temporarily at any moment. He did that a number of times while he walked on the face of the earth just to remind us who he was, who he is. He's the God of the universe. He made it all. He keeps it all together under very precise rules. But when he wants to, when he wants to amend a rule... He's free to do so. He, he's in charge. That's the God we believe in because that's our position. That's his position. We don't apologize. So there are three things I want you to remember about this. First, it is God's position statement. He's the authority. He's the one in charge. I'm basically summarizing now a lot of what I've already said. And any compromise on this point sends any teaching astray and makes any claim to presenting the truth suspect. Second, it's God's position statement. As God and creator of the universe, he has supreme authority over issues of truth, so it would be expected that any outlining of that truth must come directly from him. And in the case of the Bible, it's not a position statement to be considered among many, to be just simply chosen, well, I'll take the Bible. There are other competing belief systems, but the truth reigns supremely, and there's only one source of it. As I mentioned earlier, it's it may not be popular in some circles because questions are commonly asked such as, well, if people are really sincere and, you know, they might not believe all the Bible, they might even be, well, they might even be a Buddhist. 
But if they're seeking after God and they're meditating each day and they're trying to be at one with the universe and they're going along, mm, won't they get to heaven too? I'm sorry, Jesus said. I am the way. John 14, 6. The truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father, what, by many other ways or all, any way you choose, but through me or by me. Now, that's a position statement. Jesus was very clear. He didn't, he didn't hedge. He didn't say yes, no, maybe, part of the time, what? No, he said, this is what you have to believe. If you reject this, you're rejecting me, you're rejecting the truth, and you'll be an outsider when it comes to your eternal destination. So this effectively eliminates any competing belief system as being valid. And Jesus said so. So now having made reference earlier to the commonly used GPS device, God is very interested in helping us find and keep our position and to know where we're at, where we're going, and that God is taking us ever so carefully there. When traveling to an earthly destination, there may be times when it looks like different roads can take us to the same place but you're still basically getting there by going the same general direction. You can't, you can't fool reality. If you're going from here to there, somehow you're going to have to go in that general, if not the specific direction. You may not be able to go crow fly, but you're going to get there. Well, it's just kind of a comical aside here. You may have the experience sometimes you're, you like your GPS, you got it all programmed, and then you start looking and it says, it's trying to make me go on that street. I've got a better way. <laughs> you may have. I may have. And I've done that. You know, I'm not going that way. I'll go this way because it's, A, the road is better. It's a little, you know, there's another two corners to make, but I'm going to get there as good or better than I could this other way, so I'll go my way. You can do that. And <laughs> what I like to say is uh, when you're doing that, just keep going your own way, and finally the GPS will start agreeing with you. That's <laughs> what happens. Finally you turn it around. It says, oh, okay, now we're going to the place you were really going to after all. See, I can go my own way. But in the spiritual realm, our own way is man's way, the fleshly way, the earthly way, the human way, not God's way. And Satan wants us to go our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord simply says, you know, you're, you're, you're wayward sheep, and the only way back into the fold is to follow me. And I'm so thankful last Sunday for the service. And I'm going to let Pastor Len give one last testimonial to it. It's something... Rather uh, unusual I'm going to do here this morning, but it has the cooperation of Pastor Len Robinson. He and Hope and Becky and I went out for supper in Adrian a week ago Friday night. And on the way to town, I said, Pastor Len, would you like to um, participate with me in something interesting? I told him what I was planning for this message, and I just gave a few quotes such as... Uh, let him that has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, that the Bible is God's positioning statement. No ifs, ands, ors, or buts. God's positioning statement. So uh, would you like to give a little parting testimonial that I'll use during the service? And, uh, and he, he immediately said, sure, yes, I'd be glad to. Monday morning then I got an email, and this is what Pastor Lynn has said. And this, these are his, his exact words, and I told him it won't be disjointed. It'll be part of the message It'll flow in, and this will be our conclusion today by Pastor Lynn Robinson. God's position statement. 
Again, it was at my request, not his. Dear Seneca Church family, Seneca Community Church, our loving thoughts and sincere prayers are with you as you gather this Lord's Day to fellowship, serve, worship, and learn from God's Word. God's hand-picked messenger for you this morning is our dear brother, Keith Meckley. Prior to our departure, he shared with us that which the Lord had laid upon his heart to consider together with you this morning. As he shared with us and as we discussed together God's position statement and the critical importance of listening to and respecting the revelation of God, the Bible, Keith asked if I, Len, would consider sharing an illustration or providing some input related to this important matter. Since our conversation together, I've been praying about and pondering that which I would share with you this, at this time. I believe the Lord has impressed upon my heart some very important considerations, and my sincere prayer and desire is that the following thoughts will be a source of blessing, challenge, and encouragement to each one of you. How important is God's position statement? Well, how important is the Bible? How important is God's word? Perhaps there is no better statement than that which is penned by the psalmist David to answer these questions. In Psalm 138.2, David writes, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted all above all things your name and your word. God himself places importance on his word. In fact, he is exalted above all things, not only his name, but also his word. As God's children, we must have the very same regard for God's word as he himself has. The Bible says, Hebrews 11:6, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the Bible also says, Romans 10:17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are exposed to God's truth through attentively hearing his word. And we live a life that is pleasing to God through humbly and obediently submitting to it. And God faithfully promises that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, also in Scripture. As I wrap up these thoughts, which I pray and trust are clearly and accurately set forth, I am reminded of some precious thoughts from the book of Revelation, specifically chapters 2 and 3. In these verses, we see our risen Savior and Lord Jesus Christ walking among seven local churches in Asia Minor. And at the conclusion of each of the seven scenes connected with these, Jesus said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe with all my heart that our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ continues to walk among his church today. Just as he walked among the seven local churches in Asia Minor in John's vision and revelation, so he continues to walk among his people today. He is here with you this morning. He is here with you each and every time you meet. And though there is absolutely no additional divine revelation being provided, this book is complete, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ continues to say, each and every local church and each and every child of God, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have all the revelation of our eternal God in the Bible, the Word of God, God's position statement. And it is our solemn responsibility as his children to hear and heed his word. What a blessed time we had last Sunday, referring to the passing of the staff Sunday. God has done great things. He, has, he is doing great things. He will continue to do great things. 
as we hear and heed his word. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All our love, land and hope. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this parting testimonial from our transition pastor and his wife who so faithfully labored here, faithful to your word, always without compromising, teaching what the Bible teaches and teaching us that that's so important, reminding us that that's so important. And then in the process of eventually then the recommendation that um, John and Katie come here with their family and then the approval of the local congregation to call them here. Lord, it's been all of you. And we leave it there this morning thanking you that that's a beginning point now in our time of continuation here as a local church. We don't know how long we have. We know that, and Pastor John also believes this, that at any moment you could take the church out in the rapture. You could take the believers out to be with yourself, and then the tribulation would start. But prior to that, we have time left, and so help us to invest that time wisely to teach the truth, to stand by in the truth without apology, to give forth your position, your statement, to young people and older alike, encouraging them to be always studying it and always checking and cross-checking to make sure that those who teach and preach are faithful to the Word because we know that you are the authority, not man. We leave it in your hands, thanking you, Lord, for the day we've had and now looking toward any days you may give us ahead. All for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You are dismissed. Oh, excuse me, you aren't. We have a prayer time. Very important time, according to God's position statement, is that we pray. And so.